So in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, there is this whole love story, right? And you've got Romeo and Juliet in love and they are unable to be together, right? Because they come from these families who are enemies. Their families are at odds. There's something happened in their past and they're absolute enemies. And so they're forbidden to be with one another. And so Romeo and Juliet have this whole thing going on behind the scenes and all this stuff going on in secret. And, and one of the things that Juliet says in a part of the story, which is really, really interesting, is she's talking about the fact that if only Romeo's last name were different, they could be together. Because the, his name is what it is, Montague, they, they can't be together. But man, if it was only different, you know, because the only thing that makes them unable to be together is this last name, is this family feud. And so, man, if only it was another name, things would be different between them. And so she says this, she says, "'Tis but thy name that is my enemy.'" saying, look, it's your name that's my enemy. It's not you, Romeo, right? She says, thou art thyself, thou, though not a Montague. What's Montague? Is it not hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man? Oh, be some other name. And then she says this, these, these four words. What's in a name? What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And so what she's saying here is, look, a name is meaningless. A name is just a name, right? If you called a rose something else, it would still smell sweet. She's saying, oh, Romeo, if only your name weren't what it is. What's in a name? It really doesn't mean anything. You know, in our culture today, we don't really put a lot of stock into what people's names mean, right? We don't really talk about it much. I think one person in all of my kids' You know, I've got a nine and a six and a four-year-old, and only one person in the, all of their entire lifetimes has ever asked me what any of, their ki- of those names mean. And so we don't put a lot of stock into what our kids' names mean or our names mean. And I'm kind of thankful for that because of what my name means. I've told you guys in the past, my name means from the dark black river, okay? <laughs> that, that's, that's what my name means, all right? So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this series and what Juliet said, and I was thinking, man, if my name is like that, then there must be other people who have really bad names as well. And so I'm sitting in the office writing this message, and so the po- closest people to me were Pastor and Andrew and Joey, and so I started thinking about them. So I'm laughing as I'm looking up Andrew's name. is going to be great. His name means manly and strong. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, right? So I'm like, all right, let me try Joey, Joseph, right? Our youth pastor, right? Joseph means God will increase, Right? Like, this is ridiculous, right? So then I'm like, all right, Pastor Ravone, his name is Vincent. So that's got to be something good, right? Conquering. Conquering. We got conquering Pastor Vincent. So I'm thinking about this whole scenario, right? And I'm starting to feel like I'm maybe ruled out from working on staff here, you know? Because if you think about these guys, you got Andrew, who's mighty and strong, right? You've got Pastor Ravone, who's conquering. You got Joey, man, everything he touches, God's just increasing and blessing, right? And these guys are all warring against the man from the Black River, which is me, right? <laughs> So, man, I, I kind of wish my parents had put a little more thought into the whole naming of me. I'm named after my dad's middle name, but I, I think if they had maybe known. And, and then you got to crack up because then the Christians try to take it and make a positive spin on it, right? So growing up, I always was told my name meant seeker of light, seeker of light, because I'm from the dark river, right? I'm like, I'm lost. I need light. Somebody help me, right? And so the Christians try to take it and put this cheesy spin on it, which is ridiculous. But, man, what's in what's in? A name. Thankfully, today, not much. But thousands of years ago, names were a huge deal. And what a name was about was a huge deal. And names weren't meaningless, like I'm glad they are today and like Juliet wished they were. And you know what's really powerful is to begin to think about the names of God. To begin to think about 
who God is and how he relates to his people. And here's what I mean by that. You see, in human history, as God would interact with his people, he would do something and then either they would call him a certain name because of what he did or he would give himself a certain name because of what he did. So if somebody needed God to heal them and he healed them, they would call him the name for God the healer. Or if God provided for them in an awesome way, then someone would say, oh, God, our provider. They would give him these names in the ways that he related to them. I mean, he was still God. It's not like he was changing. It's just they were saying, wow, this is what you've done for us. And they are highlighting a feature of God. You know, I mean, I think in just in human terms, we understand this. Like my dad, I've told you before, is he's six foot eight. He's legally a giant, right? My kids the other day said, dad, are the giants real? I said, have you met grandpa? You know, like, he's six, eight. Yes, like think six, seven is the cutoff. So he's legally a giant. And his whole life, because he's been so tall, he gets, you know, he gets made fun of. He gets all the name, you know, the names called. He gets all these ridiculous questions. The, the two top questions he gets, one is, uh, how's the weather up there, right? That's the big one. He's got a friend uh, who's told him what he should say back. He, he's, my dad's a nice guy, so he would never do this. But my friend, uh, his friend said, the next time someone says that to you, you should spit in their face and tell them it's raining, right? <laughs> and, then, and then the other question that he gets all the time is, man, you're so big. How do you shower, like, how do you shower? How do you, you know? And again, his friend comes through. My dad hasn't come through with this one, but, but his friend told him he should look back and say, I shower naked. How about you, right? I mean, come on, right? And so he's gotten all those questions, and, and he, he also gets called certain names, you know? I mean, we'll be just be walking through a store, and it's just, hey, big guy, hey, big guy. I'm like, thanks. Oh, no, no, him. Oh, okay. You know, hey, hey big guy. Or, or they call him Stretch. You know, some people have called him Gumby because he's like so, you know, he can move. He's got these huge arms. He can move all around. You guys are starting to feel bad for my dad, right? But you know what? All his life, he's been called these names and stuff because that's how he relates to people and that's how people relate to him. They look at this guy and and something stands out about him. And the same is true with what we see in the Bible. God would do something extraordinary, kind of like my dad's extraordinary. God would do something extraordinary and the people would look at that and they would highlight what he did. Or maybe God even himself would highlight what he had done and the people then would call him that name or relate to him in that way. And you know what? It's so powerful to think about and talk about these different aspects because the truth is, is you and I need to hear some of these names. You and I need to know some of these names. You and I need to start calling God some of these names because they're incredibly, incredibly powerful. So tonight I want to look at a story together. I want to start off talking about somebody who found himself in an unbearable situation. And I want to talk with you about how God related with them and to them in that unbearable situation. You see, you and I know what unbearable situations are all about, don't we? Right, we've all been there. We all have unbearable situations that come up and like the person in the story, what most of us do when an unbearable situation shows itself is we try to figure out how to get out of it. We try to figure out how we can escape it. Maybe we're gonna run from it, maybe we're gonna ignore it, but we're gonna get through it as quickly as possible. And we're going to do what we have to do so that this thing doesn't cause us too much trouble, right? And so in the midst of that, we find ourselves looking at relationship issues, right? I think that's a huge one for us. A lot of us have unbearable relationship issues right now. Some of you guys are young and you're going, man, it's with my parents. It's with a sibling in my home. I'm still living under my parents' roof. And here's, here's what your strategy is. Just grin and bear it until you can run, right? Some of you guys have been tempted just to take off. Some of you guys are older and you're in a dating relationship or even a marriage relationship and things have been a little bit rocky. Things have been a little bit unbearable. And you know what? Sometimes there can be that temptation 
I'm just going to take off or I'm going to run or I'm going to stay in it, but I'm going to be miserable in it. Some of us, it's, it's our financial situation. It's like we're just this, in, in this unbearable place of like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what to do. And it's kind of like we run from lender to lender and credit card to credit card. And we do what we have to try to do to deal with this unbearable situation ourselves. For some of us, it's confrontation. There's a, there's a conversation that some of us in this room know we need to have with somebody. But we're just fleeing it. We're running from it. We, we see it as unbearable. We see it as something that we couldn't even imagine going through with. Some of us in the room, we're straight up running from what we know God wants us to do. Because what he wants us to do seems unbearable. What he wants us to do seems like, I don't know how this is gonna work, right? Maybe he's, he, he, you know he wants you in a certain field and it's like, but that's gonna take X amount of years of schooling or how am I gonna live on Long Island making X amount of dollars and we're running from what he has for us. Some of us are just running from serving him in certain ways. Some of us are running in our relationship with God because of certain sin struggles in our lives and we're just going, look, to fight that war, God, would be unbearable. To look at my lust and get serious about it would be unbearable. God, to look at my marriage issues would be unbearable. God, to look at my relationship issues would feel unbearable. I don't know how to even start. I don't know what to do. To look at my drug or alcohol addictions, unbearable, God. And so I'm just gonna flee. I'm gonna run or I'm gonna stay in it and I'm gonna be miserable. What if one of the names of God, what if the way he related to somebody in the Bible is the answer for how you and I deal with our unbearable situations? You know what? I probably haven't named many of the unbearable situations you find yourself in today. And so I just say, what's yours? What is your unbearable situation that you are just saying, I just can't wait to get out. Life will be good when this is over. Life will be good on the other side of this. Some of you guys, it's singleness right now, right? Life will be bearable when I'm not stuck right here, right now, anymore. Some of you guys, it's a job situation. Life will be good when either I have a job or when I have a new job. Because right now this fear feels completely unbearable. But what if God had something for you tonight? What if there's something you could hold on to? What if there was something that would give you what you need to face the unbearable situations, and not just have to try to plot a way to run away or get out of it, and not just try to survive until you finally find another option. But man, what if right here, right now, you were able to do what God needed you to do, and you didn't have to get through it, just miserable. So we're gonna look at some verses tonight where we see God meet someone in a very similar place that a lot of us are in tonight, this unbearable place, this place we can't imagine. And you know what? This is true of all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's many of us here in unbearable situations. And this is also true if you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're somebody that is here for the first time, you, you know what this is all about too, right? And what if God spoke to that issue? What if there's something powerful that God could do in your life tonight as well? So we're gonna just catch up to speed a little bit on where we're headed tonight and then jump in. There's this guy named Abraham, this woman named Sarah. A lot of you guys have heard of them. Uh, it's a little bit, Tricky here because this is the chapter before their names get changed, okay? We're actually gonna be in that chapter next week, but, but the chapter before here, uh, they're just known as Abram and Sarai, okay? So if I mess something up and I say Abraham or Sarah, don't start pointing and laughing, I just messed it up, all right? Just stick with me, all right? You know who I'm talking about. But here we're gonna look at Genesis 16, verse one, and we get caught up real quick on the scenario. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, 
The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now, doesn't this seem familiar? <laughs> right? Didn't we just talk a few weeks ago about Jacob, who was in a very similar situation? And man, these guys need to man up and be like, woman, I am not a hunk of meat, right? Uh, you can't just tell me who to go sleep with, all right? But that's unfortunately not what happened, because look at verse 3. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, I need you to know something about this. This doesn't mean that Sarai came up with this idea and then Abraham thought about it for 10 years. Okay? That's kind of what the, way, the way the verse makes it feel. No, this is just simply a timeline. Sarai and Abraham have been in Canaan for these years, and Sarah comes up with the idea. It does not take Abraham or Abram 10 years to figure out the answer. Look at verse 4. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So that was more like 10 seconds to figure out that one, right? Then... It says, when she knew, and we're talking about Hagar here, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar finds out, oh man, I'm, I'm pregnant. I've been used. I've been used. The only reason this happened was because they needed a child and Sarai couldn't have a child. And so I've been used for what I could do for this family. Now look, it goes on a little bit worse. It gets more and more unbearable for Hagar and Sarah and Abraham. Verse five, then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave's in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So what happens here is, we don't know if it's physical abuse, we don't know if it's emotional abuse, we don't know exactly what happens, but we know that Hagar is mistreated, and it becomes completely unbearable. Her heart's broken, she feels betrayed, she feels used, and now in some way or another, she's been abused. And so what does she do? What well, says she fled from her. She left. She was in an unbearable situation, and she decided, I can't take this any longer, so I'm just going to run from it. I'm gonna flee from it. I will not face this, right? That's what she's saying. I will not face this. And that's so often our approach. I'm in the midst of this. It's a relationship issue. It's a job issue. I'm miserable. I'm either going to run. At the very least, if I'm stuck, I will not face this. It's unbearable. I will not face it. So she takes off. And as you read through the rest of the verses, uh, from what we know geographically, it looks like she's trying to run home. The problem is home for Hagar was 150 miles away. Okay, so that's a bit of a hike for a pregnant woman, right? Ain't nobody got time for that kind of a hike when you're pregnant, right? And so she's taken off, and I want you to think about this for a second. 150-mile hike for a pregnant woman. Just think about this. I mean, certainly she was in an unbearable situation with Abraham and Sarah, right? But don't you think she kind of got herself into a worse one when she took off? I mean, at least she's alive with Abraham and Sarah. At least she's got food. At least she could deliver her child. But she has run, and she's on now a 150-mile journey. Whether she knows that or not, we're not quite sure. But she's gone from bad to worse. And I'll tell you guys, when you and I decide that we are going to take things into our own hands and we're going to either run or not face the unbearable situation, we're just going to be miserable through it. We're not going to let God speak into it. We're not going to let anybody tell us what to do. We're just going to be who we are and get through it. And when we're on the other side, we'll be happy. I tell you, we, we often jump, don't we, into a worse unbearable situation. So then, 
as Hagar's on her way. Verse seven says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. And that, that'll matter in a minute. And, I, and he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're probably listening to this story. You're going, honestly, Doug, the reason I don't go to church is because of all the stuff you're reading right now, right? I mean, the Bible's talking about slavery. It's talking about this guy sleeping with somebody who's not his wife. Uh, you're talking about an angel having a conversation with a person. It just seems so out there. It seems wrong. And I, I, this is why I don't come to church. And, and let me, if I could just point something out to you. I understand that. I understand you feeling like, what's the deal with all this? I mean, Abraham, you know, I mean, there's little kids in Sunday school who sing a song about Father Abraham, how great he is, and here he is doing all this stuff, right? And the truth is, I, I want you to know that just because something's written in the Bible doesn't mean God condones it. It's something really important to understand. The Bible tells us history. It doesn't mean that God condones everything done in history. In fact, if you stay around long enough and you get to the New Testament, you realize Jesus came to die on the cross and give his life for sins like slavery and polygamy, right? And so just because it's in there doesn't mean that God's going, yeah, that's great, Abram, good work. And we see the mess that's being made here. Then verse 10 says, Then angel, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, I don't have time to get into it tonight, but if you're a history buff, you should really check out what happens because of this story. The ramifications of this story are incredible, though I don't have time to get into it tonight. But here the angel has made these promises to Hagar. And some kind of big promises. They're not all great promises, but some pretty big ones. Like you're going to have a son, and you know what? You're going to have all these descendants. And basically what the angel is saying to Hagar is you matter, right? You matter. Okay? You're running. You felt used. You felt alone. But you matter. And you know what? I think if, if the angel were talking to any of us, we, we could have taken a lot out of what was said. We could say, wow, you know, I mean, she knew she was pregnant. She didn't know she was pregnant with the son. So she could have been like, wow, wow, that's exciting, you know? Like every time Kelly and I found out, you know, boy, girl, boy, like, oh, that was exciting. That was a great moment. But she doesn't talk about that in a minute. And you know what? To find out that you're going to be kind of the head of all these descendants coming out, that would be an exciting thing and an honoring thing for a woman in that culture. But you know what? She doesn't mention that in a second. I want you to see what she mentions. I want you to see what matters to Hagar in this moment, because I think it's the thing that will matter to you in the middle of your unbearable situations. He says in verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord. So here we got a name going to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. You know what mattered to Hagar in the midst of all that? Not so much the son, not so much the descendants, not the fame, not the fact we'd be talking about her all these thousands of years later, but, but simply that God saw her. God saw her in the midst of her unbearable situation. That she wasn't alone. That it wasn't for nothing. But that God knew what she was going through and he addressed it to her. He spoke right into her situation. And she uses this word, this term, Elroy, which means the God who sees me. 
this amazing name. I want you to think about that name for a second. You're in the middle of your unbearable situation, your sickness, your divorce, your relationship issue. He just broke your heart. She just broke your heart. Finances, job stuff. He sees you. He sees you right where you are. He knows what you're going through. It means you're not alone. It means you matter. It means more too, which we're gonna get to in just a second. But in verse 14, it says, that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. And that term means the well of him that liveth and seeth me. And so here is Hagar, who was abused and abandoned and ran away and felt useless. And God is speaking right to her situation, right to her scenario. And I want you to see what it enables her to do. See, the story doesn't even end there. Look at verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Wait, who gave the name? Abram did. Wait, I thought she was running away from Abram. Well, she must have gone back. You see, she went right back, guys, listen, so powerful, right back to the unbearable situation she was trying to get away from. And do you know the only reason why? Is because God saw her. God seeing her was enough to make her go back to what was so hard and face it. Knowing God knew what was going on, knowing God was with her, knowing God saw, God validated that situation, even though it was unbearable and it wasn't what you would think would be a great scenario. But because God saw her, she had the courage and the strength and the ability to walk back and face what she had been running from. And you and I run, or at least we wanna run sometimes, or we're in the middle of the situation and we feel so trapped and we're just gonna punish everybody, right? Punish everybody with our anger. We're gonna punish our work and our coworkers because we don't wanna be there. And so we're gonna act this way or that. We're gonna punish our spouse because we don't wanna be in this. We're gonna punish our parents or our kids because we don't wanna be stuck like this. Imagine being able to face that exact situation just simply because you know God sees you. There's something so powerful about knowing that God sees you. And when Abraham and Sarai saw Hagar coming back, do you know what? We don't know if anything changed. We don't know if Hagar was continued to be, uh, continued to be mistreated. She may have been. She may have been continually wronged, but she now had what she needed to go back and face it. I had a friend in college, Ronnie. Ronnie was our buddy. He lived in our house that we lived in on campus. And Ronnie was completely blind, completely blind. He didn't have a seeing eye dog. He just had this walking stick. And Ronnie had a great sense of humor about being blind. Um, you'd be sitting in a room with all the guys and he would hear somebody turn off a light switch and he'd be like, hey bro, can you turn that back on? I was just reading. And, and you would literally be over the light switch like flipping it halfway back on. You'd be like, Ronnie, you're blind. You know, and he's over there laughing. You know? Like just had such a great sense of humor about it. But I'll tell you something about Ronnie was crazy. Was 
the guy like ran everywhere, everything he did. Like he, he's just running all over campus. There's a big, I went to Nyack, there's this big main road that runs through the campus and he would just run, you know, through the road, you know, down the road, across the road, up the hill and, and just everywhere he went, he just had to run. He had to go super speed, right? This one time he came running down our path to our house and he ran smack into one of the posts that holds up the front and took it out. I mean, took it out. He did, he just took it on out and he just came in and he's like, hey man, I just broke the post outs. I mean, he's just, right? But you know what? The thing, the thing that worried us about Ronnie, the thing that constantly, I felt nervous every time I was walking with Ronnie and we're getting by that main road, you know, every time I got nervous because he couldn't see and because he couldn't see, it was like everything was out of control, you know? And there was no order to what the guy did. He just went, you know? Hopefully there's no car coming. Hopefully I'll make it. He just went. You know what, when you and I aren't sure if God sees where we are, it feels like everything's out of control, doesn't it? And it feels like everything's out of order and it feels like there's no purpose. But when you and I know, when Hagar understood that God saw her, suddenly she could go back and face the situation again. Maybe the situation didn't change, maybe it did, we're not sure, but we know that she did what God had her to do. She wasn't gonna run from God. And I love that what she clung to wasn't the promise of descendants or the promise of a son, but it was just simply God sees me. And you know what, tonight, very simply what I want you to know, what this name of God means for you is no matter what you're going through, God sees you, every one of you, all of us. He knows what we're going through. He knows the couple that may be in the room tonight that's been trying to have kids and can't. He may know the couple in the room that's been working through their marriage for years and years and I just can't even imagine another season like this. He sees you. It means it's under his control. It means there's order. It means there's a purpose. He sees you college students. He sees you high school students as you're trying to figure out where you're headed next. He sees all you guys that are at this next step of getting married and this exciting yet you know, kind of scary time. Will we have the money? Will we get the jobs? Will... He sees you. He sees you. It's purposeful. There's order. It's under control. Maybe not under your control, but it's under his control. And so I don't know about you, but I think one of the things to do in the midst of our unbearable situations, is to pray, God, I pray you'd change the situation. But even if you don't, God, I just, I just need to know you see me. I mean, I think that's what Kelly and I have been praying. God, my, you know, God, heal my wife. Help her to be healed from all these situations, God. But more than that, I mean, I want my wife healed, but more than that, I just want to know God's with us. God, this financial situation we're going through, God, would you free us from it. But, but even more than that, even if that's not your plan, maybe you know I need to go through this. But, but God, more than that, would you just show me that you see us and you're walking with us? God, this relationship issue, it feels like eggshells every time I'm around them. It feels like, uh, you know, I can't say anything or I'm going to offend them or they're going to get upset with me. God, would you heal that relationship? But even if you don't, would you show me you see me? And I don't know what your prayer might look like, but I think it should look something like that. And I think if you're a follower of Jesus and you have some history with God, 
One of the things that could really encourage you as you're in the unbearable situation right now is to look back to the times when God has shown you he sees you. Look back to the times when you know he was walking with you. I mean, that's the thing about walking with God so often is that we see kind of backwards like, oh wow, God was looking out for me so incredibly and I just didn't know it and now I see it. But man, I had no clue he was doing that then. And maybe right now it's time to look back a little bit and say, I know God saw me when this happened before. I know God saw me when I was going through this and he walked with me. And I would say for all of us, I think it's a good prayer to pray, God, I know you see me, but would you just show me you see me? Would you show me in a fresh way? I mean, I know in my head you see me. I know maybe even with past history that you see me and you know what I'm going through. But God, I pray you'd show me experientially, here and now, as I walk through this, that you see me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, the same offer's there for you. The same thing could be true of you, that you see that God sees you. That like Hagar said, I love that line, I've seen the one who sees me. For some of you guys, that would be an amazing experience. And I'll tell you what, a lot of the people in the room here tonight are excited about a relationship with Jesus because we've seen the one who sees us. Maybe not with physical eyes, but we've seen him show up in such powerful and real ways that we're able to say, I've seen him. I've seen him at work. I've seen what he can do. I've seen what he can accomplish. And so no matter where you are tonight, no matter what your struggle is, we're all either in an unbearable situation or there's one coming or we just came out of one, right? And no matter where you find yourself, I want you to know that God sees you. Some of you guys are looking back at an unbearable situation you went through and you haven't gotten out of it. Or, or, I'm sorry, you have gotten out of it, but you're looking back going, what was that for? Just know that God saw you then. He saw why you had to walk through that and he loves you. And like we sung about a few minutes ago, he works all things together for our good. And so I don't know what you went through, but he knows and he saw it. And there's order and there's control and there's purpose because God sees you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you see us. We thank you, God, that life can Life can be so hard, but that you see us and that you are with us and that you walk with us through it. And so God, I just pray for all of us right now. And there's, there's a, a, billion different, a billion different unbearable situations going on in this room, I'm sure. Probably many of us are, are in the middle of many. But God, I thank you that you see us. God, you see those in our lives who are hurting. You see those people that we love that are sick. You, you know our financial situations. You know our, our own bodies, if they're healthy or not. You know our relationship issues. God, you know our sin struggles. You know the areas of our lives where we're running from you just because we can't seem to bear the thought of doing what you're calling us to do. God, you know all of it. You know the couples in this room that, that are trying to get pregnant. You know the married couples here where it feels like it's just been a, a war zone for years and years. You know, the high school students who are confused about the future, God, you see us tonight. I thank you that you see us. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you bring him the areas of your life that feel unbearable? And would you, yes, would you ask him to change those things? Absolutely. But would you also ask him that in the process, you would see him, that you would see the one who sees you, 
If you're not a follower of Jesus tonight, I just want to give you the opportunity to put your faith in him if you would like to. If you feel that you want to know God, like I talked about briefly earlier, Jesus died. Jesus gave his life for the sin in our lives and in Abraham's life and in every person who's ever lived. He, he gave his life for us to redeem us and to purchase us for him. It's a gift of grace that he gives. And so if you want to put your faith in Jesus tonight and begin to know the God who sees you, then I would love for you to just pray a prayer something like this, just quietly in your heart. Jesus, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. And I just ask you to be my Savior, God. And I ask you to let me see you clearly. And I ask that you'll show me many different ways that you see me. Thank you for your love. In your name we pray.